Jen. And I'm Peter. And you are listening to Sex Advice for Seniors. And if you like Sex Advice for Seniors, please do share it with your friends, subscribe, follow us on social media, all that kind of stuff, because we really love it when you do that. We are today with Sangeeta Palai from Soul Sutras, and we've had a discussion in the past um, on our podcast talking about some of the assumptions that we make about sex, especially in relationship to privilege, privilege as Western people, white people, and how that informs some of the stuff that we think about sex and how we know that that's not the same everywhere we go. So, Peter, over to you for the first question. Oh, right. Well, I, I wanted to ask really about about the Masala podcast, which you put out, which um, which is fantastic. I was listening uh, to a few episodes this morning uh, just to get some sort of idea of the sort of questions you're asking. Um, and and I guess, yeah, what what we really want to investigate is the way to which the way in which the South Asian community is isolated from uh, a lot of the discussions around sex. Um, and so I wonder how you, you know, wondered if you could talk about how the pod, your podcast um, affects that, what sort of reach that has into the South Asian feminist community. Um, hi, it's lovely to be here. Hi, uh, hi. So, like you were saying, I'm Sangeeta Pillai. I'm the creator of Masala Podcast and the South Asian Feminist Network, Soul Sutras. So, all the work I do is around taboos in South Asian culture. Um, there's a lot of stuff we, as South Asian women in particular, do not talk about. Sex being a really big one in that. Mm. Now, if you imagine culturally, uh, most of us have grown up being told that sex is off the table like we do not talk about it we do not mention it we do not know the words for it we don't know the words for the vagina or the penis in our own languages you know that's how disconnected we are from the conversation around sex and for me I've always challenged it even when I was I think 15 or 16 I think that's kind of my own kind of growth as a Feminist kind of happened, except I didn't know it was called feminism because we did not yeah. feminism in India in the 1980s, which is where I grew up. <laughs> um, so, but I kind of knew that I had to challenge the things I was being told. And that has carried on in my entire life. And about five years ago, that is what kind of propelled me to set up this South Asian Feminist Network and the podcast, Masala Podcast. Masala Podcast, kind of the origin story is really quite funny because I uh, was running workshops with South Asian women and I'd done two theater shows at the back of the workshop. So I was teaching them on how to write about taboo sex and, you know, experiences and things like that. And then I converted those stories into two um, theater productions, one at Rich Makes, one at the Design Museum. And then I was after like a slightly bigger medium and um, I started hearing the word podcast. Now I didn't know what a podcast was. So I went on to Google and I typed in, what is a podcast? <laughs> How is it different? Mm -hmm. uh, because I am older, you know, I haven't grown up with technology. Um, and then about a couple of weeks later, someone sent me this link for a competition with Spotify. Spotify at that time were looking for more women of color podcasters because podcasting was very much a young white man's game, you know, at that time. Mm. 
And I, I think it was about midnight or something. And I just thought, oh, I'm just going to enter it. I'll never hear back from them. And I sent off this three-line blurb for what wasn't started podcast in my head. And I heard back from them. I got shortlisted. They had 750 people apply in London that year. And I was one of 10 that got shortlisted, got put into this like podcasting boot camp for one week. <laughs> At the end of which we had to pitch to the head of Apple, BBC Audio and Google Podcasts. So you got five minutes and they got five minutes to ask you questions. And I won the competition. Oh, my God. Well, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was really exciting, actually. It was such a moment in my life. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> To go from like, I don't know what a podcast is, to actually creating and winning a competition and actually making one and being <laughs> you know, which is, it's, it's a dream, really. And the podcast has had four seasons. It's won five British podcast awards, one audio production award. It's been written about in a lot of places. Yeah. The Guardian, the BBC, you know, like loads and loads of uh, really cool media outlets. And for me, like the whole... Um, fire behind it is to get us as South Asian women to talk about this stuff because what happens is when we are silenced we kind of carry that silence into our relationships within our families kids whatever and this big shame means even things like say there's sexual abuse we don't have the language to talk about it because yeah. no one's allowed us to talk about it so how do we then say someone's touched me inappropriately because yeah, you're yeah. not allowed to talk about the fact that there's any touching or any sexual anything. Yeah. So it's a serious thing, I think, as well, to get uh, women in the community to talk about it. And, you know, I get hundreds upon hundreds of messages, and I'm sure you do as well with your work. Mm. Uh, women writing to me to say, you know, such and such thing happened to me, or I've never had an orgasm, or I don't know what a sex toy is, or, you know, there's just so yeah. much that is kind of silenced within my community and the price of that is women kind of never really understanding what their bodies are capable of mm. you know you don't know what your mm. own body mm. can do no, i was listening to i was listening to one of your um podcasts on the menopause yeah and um and you know uh, hearing some incredible stuff on there like there's no word for j vagina in you know the, there is but we it's so well there kind is of but it's not not nobody knows it yeah. you know in english it's like a shakespearean word that no one would use in 2022 yeah, yeah. that archaic and that hidden from us yeah so then these conversations become really difficult and really really important yeah so this is why i kind of do what i do with mm. masala podcast and all the other work that i do yeah well it's kind of similar to our motivation really was to you know because i think also these subjects are t taboo for for older western people as well it's not yeah. the you know there is this enormously progressive west that mm. uh, that talks about these things all the time it's it's also taboo here so you know we want to try and overcome that amongst older people but, but yet on the flip side of that we've got we've got you know whole groups of people that subscribe to like tantra and tantric mm. which which come from asia and which have been appropriated by the west in their own 
particular way and we've had discussions around that and also around this whole idea of kind of the spirituality of India you know people going to India for all these spiritual purposes and yet it seems as if that the way that western people have appropriated some of that um stuff from India it's not the way it's being perceived or being uh you know shared amongst Asian women absolutely I mean I get um asked this sometimes it's like but isn't sex sex is not part of our culture no. and my response to that is actually sex has been part of our culture since fourth century BC absolutely you know, yeah. yeah that's Some really good Tantra, you know the Kama Sutra, Tantra, yeah. all of these yeah. come yeah. from <laughs> those the temples. And, I mean, the, yeah, the temples. you know, the erotic <laughs> temples. I remember were some of the first time I saw any sort of sexual images was I saw these temples and I thought, my exactly. God, what the hell is that? What's going on there? And then you exactly. find out they're from you know a thousand, two thousand years ago. Exactly. So. Our culture is, in fact, was very progressive when it came to sex, mm. was very evolved when it came to sex. The Kama Sutra, I don't know if you've ever read it. Yes. Yeah. It's um, kind of seven books about pleasure. And yeah. pleasure is described as something every cosmopolitan adult should know about. It's like you learn, I don't know, how to ride horses and how to play a musical instrument and you are good at sex. Mm. It's like you were expected to be good at it. Mm. Not just sex was very much a very evolved and it's very finessed if you ever read it. Like there are passages about a man has to, there's a way a man entertains his lover. He she will come over, he will play her a musical instrument, he makes her food, he talks about poetry, then they have sex. Mm. You know, it's not the kind of just yeah. get in there and do it and get out. You know, it's just yeah, whole, yeah. Thing, whole thing yeah. you're meant to enjoy and savor like good food, like good music. So that is our culture. Mm. And again, I think we've lost it as, as South Asian people. Yeah. And the West has definitely appropriated a lot of this. You know, I get asked this thing. I always talk about this. And I, I went on a date once, an online date. And, and the guy asked me, do you do the Kama Sutra? And I turned around and said, you cannot do the Kama Sutra. You know, like, <laughs> I got really annoyed. <laughs> But it's just this kind of very one-dimensional idea of what South Asian sexuality is and mm. books like Kama Sutra, art like the Tantra. Yeah. And again, Tantra is again co-opted in the West as one, you know, Tantra is a whole way to live your life. Yes, exactly. You harness your sexuality mm. so that you can go in every area of your life from your relationships to money, to business, to whatever. Mm. You know, it's a whole kind of universe and mm. The West has kind of found this one little part of it, and mm. Tantra has become just about sex. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so did that did that happen with sort of colonialism? Then sort of did so, the British come and 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 destroy it, or you know? I we could just blame the British because it would make life yeah, much it easier. Would, it? <laughs> yeah. Realistically, I think it's a whole lot of factors. I think lots of different. Rulers ruled India, then the kind of morality changed. Even within Hinduism, there's a lot of different yeah. kind of texts. There's a guy called, there's a man called Manu who wrote this whole kind of uh, rules of society. And that's the first time women were talked, were set, told that they are kind of, they belong to men and they have to get married and all this stuff. Mm. Because before that, courtesans were some of the most powerful people in, in, in India. They yeah. 
had a lot of money and they had the ears of kings and ministers and you know they were very independent powerful women yeah um, so it changed i think with several rulers several kind of branches of hinduism and colonialism didn't help because i think the british the victorians came in mm. and the 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 team that discovered Kama Sutra, you know, and then they kind of translated. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see that because I find this really annoying. <laughs> Something that exists existed for thousands of years. So they were kind of really shocked, I think, when they read kind of the, the they translated it and they read some of it. Mm. And then they came back to England and released it as kind of dirty literature. It was these little pamphlets. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. What, really beautiful science it's one of the sciences of in hinduism karma is is lust mm-hmm. sutra is the science of 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 um of the body of sex yeah and there's a lot of other shastras you know like like kama shastra there's artha shastra which is like there's mathematics there's astronomy there's there's all lot of things so it's within that context yeah but i think victorian morality couldn't quite understand that mm. i think coming from a time when women didn't show their ankles, you know, to suddenly to sort of read these passages of, you know, mm. uh, about sex and the rules around sex and the kind of the beauty of, of, of sex. So I think some of it was definitely Victorian. And they also had issues around kind of um, Kerala, kind of where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, the women never wore blouses, so there was a sari. Mm. And your top, you just draped your sari over your breast. So the breasts were uncovered. Mm. Yeah. So now the Victorians found this really challenging. And there were all these bare-breasted women walking around, you know. So they, there was a whole kind of law and things. I think they were part of it. I think there was other issues around caste and things that came in as well. But yes, it did did challenge Victorian morality, mm. I think. And somewhere along the lines, we've kind of embodied that as South Asians. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then we've lost these beautiful arts that were very much part of our culture. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting because I've been to India a number of times. I've been to Kovalam and Kerala a number of times. And I know, I know that region and area really well. And one thing that I noticed was that it was, uh, you know, it's so, what I witnessed was so complex. The what was going on was blowing my mind because of course you've got men, young men, predominantly, but I suspect it's men of all ages who are consuming pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and a friend of mine who lived there just said, if you go to any internet cafe in, in South Asia and you just, nobody bothers to erase their history and you just type in any old thing, the first thing that just comes up is reams of porn, right? Yeah. So, so they've got exposure to pornography. You've got Western people coming in wearing very little You've got women wearing saris walking into the water, fully clothed in their saris. And you've got this, I mean, it, 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 it's so, for me, it was like quite overwhelming, this cultural, like, yes. mishmash. And, and I just thought, how is this impacting on people's perception of what a healthy sexual relationship looks like? Mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, you've got, all this exposure to stuff which is not healthy sex and which is probably the only sex that they've seen, right? That's probably their first exposure. Like so many young men, by the way, this is not exclusive to India by any means, but you're in a culture which is deeply conservative and then you've got Western people coming in with their own thoughts and ways of being. And how does that all, clearly that manifests in a totally 
fucked up way I would imagine. It's 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 really and and you're spot on actually because every time I go back, I was in India for two and a half months. I just got back two weeks ago, and the clash of various things is exactly what it is because you know India has the largest mobile phone usage in the world. I think mm. like literally everybody's got a phone in villages in towns, mm. so which means you have access to porn, you have access to all sorts of things, but a lot of culture still hasn't caught up. The first time a lot of young men will have sex is when they get married. Right. You know, when they're married, they have an arranged marriage and that's the person they'll have sex. So they have no real exposure to women or sex or how to conduct yourself. And oh. the ideas that they, and like you very rightly said, a lot of young men all over the world kind of internalize is porn. Mm. Yes. And we know porn isn't a realistic, you know, example of what actually happens. Mm-hmm. No. So a lot of their ideas are very screwed up, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of looking at women as just bodies yeah. Yeah. to be used, sadly, is very, very dominant in India. Yeah. Which explains the, the rapes that happen. Yeah, I was you know, going to say, yeah. Mm. India, yeah. you know. And as a woman, you've got to be careful. You've got to kind of watch yourself where you're going and all of that. And that is very, very sad. It makes me very sad that that is the way yeah. it still is in, in India. Mm. Yeah. So... You know, unless we, and I think it all starts from what we're doing here, sitting here and talking openly about sex, about sexuality, about removing the shame from it. I think the minute you remove the shame from it, it becomes a normal thing that you do. I don't know, you you talk about sex, you like you talk about food or you talk about anything else in the world, you know? Yeah. So I think once you start talking, and I think that's the first step, you remove some of the stigma. Then you remove this, oh my God, attached to sex or anything sexual or anything mm. naked or anything like that. Mm. Unless you do that, I think things are going to carry on in this very horrific manner of rapes and mm. women yeah. being attacked and killed yeah. and not really respected in any way. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What you hope though is when I, I talk to a lot of young people when I go to India and there's a huge change there. Yes. Among younger, educated people. Yeah. In I can see that, town. definitely. Yeah, so for sure. So they're a lot more liberal, actually. Yeah. Um, they have relationships, they're having sex, you know, they're living together. There's, um, They are not attached to gender in the same way that the older generation are. So there is a change coming. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how long it's going to be or how long it's going to be before everybody catches up. Yeah, but I think it is a shift, and I'm hoping that that happens because what is happening right now is very, very, very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, and how and and we talked a bit about um, how older people in that society are effectively they have no sexuality. Are yeah. are they? They're just we've seen that we've seen that with much older people in care homes, for instance, where they're effectively neutered, um, yeah. and. And I suppose, you know, one of the one of the stereotypes, right, is the granny or the auntie and this kind of person who's just kind of around and she's bumbling around and she's she's cooking food for everybody and she's real jolly and stuff. But she's got no sex life, this woman, clearly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. She's, just, she's just she's just the provider of of, yeah. of, of jokes and entertainment for others. Um yeah. You know, and we've seen it in numerous TV programs and movies and all sorts of things where that where the older people just start 
basically they're just a butt of other people's yeah. jokes, mm. right? Yeah. Do yeah. you, uh, is there any hope for older people? <laughs> in, <laughs> or, 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 or is that just a lost cause, do you think? Before we go to answer your question, I want to talk about how old people are perceived in, in South Asian culture. So it's like as soon as you hit the age of maybe 40, as women, we're supposed to not exist anymore. Yeah. Like we are brought up already to serve other people. Even sex, women traditionally were taught that sex was for men. It wasn't for women. Yeah. We just lie there and think of India, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're taught. So as you get older, you hit 40 and then you're supposed to just exist for other people we're supposed to cook for everybody else take care of everybody else we're taught that women are nurturers yeah and there was like our entire purpose of existence in the world is to look after other people yeah. and that's yeah. bullshit yeah but we buy into this and then when we get to maybe 40 or 50 to do with the menopause a woman that about sex is like oh my god it's like something unholy yeah you know, like, <laughs> yeah inconceivable like i don't even know i think there are one or two kind of activists probably who do but most women if you see will stop being sexual beings yeah will be considered not to be sexual beings you're then the auntie or the grandmother or the you know the wise old crone or whatever yeah. yes you know and your job really is to look after other people you're yeah. there to serve the grandkids or the kids or whatever so there is zero sexuality that is attached to mm. you yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be a lot of shame. And it's so taboo that I don't even think many people talk about it. Even now, I don't really see people talking about older sexuality within South Asian culture. Mm. I've not seen it no. uh, so much. Um, so there's a real problem. So then if you turn around and say, actually, I'm 50 or 60 or 70, and I uh, want to talk about orgasms and sex and pleasure, it's a huge problem. Huge. Would, you, would you guess an audience would... would people be prepared to talk about it at all i mean there must be some discussion going on but yeah there is i think i know one or two kind of activists who are doing that but it's so limited mm. yeah because yeah, yeah. within the culture we're taught sex is for young people it's not yeah. for old people old people shouldn't even you should kind of go away look after the grandkids and recite kind of holy texts <laughs> you know like study holy texts that's your and job pray. No, that's literally what we're mm. taught so you pick up whatever religion you pick up. You pick up your holy text and you just focus on what are you doing? Talking? You know, like you can't even be thinking about sex. Is that mm. bad? Listen, it's not that much different no, in the not. West, to be honest. It's just, I mean, okay, I don't have to pick up the holy text, but you know, I mean, I have been, I have been, and and have been asked, you know, like, shouldn't you just be knitting or making soup or just like, you know. What, why are you thinking about this stuff anymore? Like, what's wrong with you? You're not, it's, so it's not, it's not vastly different. No. It's just, but it is, but obviously it is different because at least we are allowed to be sexual beings in mm. as young, you know, white yeah. people predominantly, right? So yeah. we can go around shagging our brains out when we're younger and that's completely acceptable because that's what you being young is for but if you say that you want to still continue to do that in your 40s 50s and 60s people assume you've got some sort of problem yeah you know, it's just you must, seen, you, there must be something wrong it's with just you seen as a bit you know? icky and distasteful <laughs> yes. and, you know it's yeah, like exactly. your, your mom and dad talking about sex oh my god yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, idea exactly. that the older people are 
are doing it, you know, is 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 yeah. difficult for young people to grasp actually as a concept. I mean, I suppose the challenge again is about you know when you're an older person if you haven't had any sexual education because it's so taboo that you haven't explored learned anything about pleasure mm. you know i know it's even you know for lots of people if your early sex education was basically non-existent or your early sexual experiences were not pleasant then the likelihood is that you will reach a certain age and be quite grateful when you can stop Yes. Right. Because because sex and sexuality is all about pleasure. So if it's not pleasurable, then yeah. we want to stop. Right. So I suspect that for lots of people that just didn't have were doing it out of duty, that they feel quite relieved, perhaps, to not have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and you know, the, the, the reality is that it's never too late to learn about sexual pleasure, never. But you have to want to. And clearly, if there's nobody talking about it, and it's really off the table, and people think it's disgusting, then you will be a weirdo mm -hmm. if you think that you want to actually explore this later in life right because because it's just so just so wrong exactly <laughs> i also feel like in in whether it's tv or media here in the west sex is always shown as something that's the preserve of young people to be sexy is to mm. be young Yes. I mean, do you ever see uh, any role models who are like, except for maybe Helen Mirren, she's the only one I can think of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Shayla. Like, I don't know, like wearing something nice, feeling good about herself. Like as women, I don't see anything. Like we're just supposed to kind of, after the age of 40 or 50, just disappear in a hole and just like mm -hmm. never speak again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. We're not to enjoy our bodies. We're not supposed, certainly not supposed to enjoy sex. So that's another problem, I think, because if that's the messaging we consume day in, day out. Yeah, yeah, completely. How are we going to get up and say, oh, actually, I'm an older person, but I actually quite enjoy sex, or I like, you know, I want to feel good mm -hmm. in my body, or I like an orgasm, or whatever that is. Yeah. I mean, look, it's very divisive. When I first started Advantages of Age, this social enterprise I run seven years ago, um, it was, we started talking a lot about sex and we really divided the community very quickly amongst mm -hmm. women who are like, I don't want to talk about this stuff. If this is what this group is about, I'm not interested. I'm not going there. And other people who were like very joyful, still having great, you know, intimate relationships with their long-term partners, really reveling in their older bodies, feeling good about themselves. But I would say that was a minority of people. Mm. And the majority of people were like, ick. And this was people of our own age. So that's how much we internalize this mm. stuff, right? Is that we ourselves believe it's icky. And we yeah. project out onto the world, it's yeah. icky. So we stop talking about it so much in that group because we realized we just we were just really pissing people off, frankly. So that's why Peter and I do this, because if you want to talk about it, you can come and listen to us. And if you don't, well, you don't have to. It's like we're not going to force it down your throat or anything. But, I, you know, it is... It is a difficult, really difficult and challenging topic for people. It doesn't, it doesn't, because as you said, to be sexy is to be young. And how do we move beyond that? 
how do we talk about being sexy as older people without, you know, and the other issue, of course, is as you referred to Helen Mirren, without having the money to spend on personal trainers and look like J-Lo or something else. Because we have to also acknowledge that we're all, we've all got lumps and bumps and things that maybe we don't like so much. And but we can still have sex. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the things that happened with our podcast was that it, at the beginning, coincided with the Emma Thompson film, um, where the older oh. woman was was. Uh, goodbye, Leo. Good, uh, yeah, I loved yeah. it. I yeah, and and that kind of brought on to the agenda again, but it's kind of disappeared again already. Um, there need to be more mm. films like that. Helen Mirren is, is, has done sterling work, I think, on that front. Um, <laughs> and, but there are older women, Emily Maitlis, you know, who've become sort of sex symbols as well. But, but again, the word sex symbol is, is an objectification, you know. So as soon as you start talking about sex, you, women are immediately objectified by the male gaze in that in that sense, and uh, you know you, you become uh, just uh, just an object of desire. Or oh, women do, men men don't generally, <laughs> but you become an an object yeah. of desire, um, and that kind yeah. of exists. Sometimes. That must exist in the South Asian community as well. This objectification of sexual imagery. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at any kind of Bollywood yeah. or any of the kind of models, they are all thin mm. and young and fair-skinned. Mm. So they've still got a problem with, the, you know, we're, dark, we're a darker race, but we don't like the fact that we're a darker race. And, mm. You know, so there's only a certain type of body that's seen as a desirable yeah. body, and that's a young female body. Um and it's you see it everywhere. Kind of, if you're walking around in India, you wear a short skirt. You're going to get like a million comments. You know, it's it it exists, and it's kind of part of the bigger problem that we've discussed, which is there is very little exposure to sex. Yeah. Sex is as a normal part of being a human being and a, as a young person. That's a natural thing to explore. Your sexuality is the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, and you're taught that all your desires are shameful, and then they are to be hidden. And then obviously, you know, that gets messed up in the mm. head, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a really complex thing. So, of course, objectification exists in India, probably even more so than here. And, you know, it's a real problem. But the other thing I wanted to kind of um, talk about when you were speaking earlier, it occurred to me that with women, we are supposed to earn the right mm -hmm. to pleasure. Like, <laughs> if I get thin enough, if I look fit enough, if I look whatever, then I yeah. can have pleasure. Mm. Yeah. It's like something we're supposed to work towards, like our, you know, New Year goals mm. to kind of have a fit body and change my diet and then then I can maybe I'll be allowed to have yeah. an orgasm, you know. <laughs> but it's again, I think, this very patriarchal thing that's been drilled into our heads that unless we are of a certain size, shape kind of thing, we're not allowed to have sex. I mean, you can't be big and enjoy sex. You can't be, um, I don't know, brown and enjoy sex. You know, there's there's a whole kind of yeah, very yeah. specific mm. lens. Yes. And I think it's a part of a bigger patriarchal 
thing going on that makes women feel like they have to constantly mm. work to get yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. No, oh God, it's you can have pleasure in your body. It's everything you need right there. There's nothing you need to do. Just turn yeah, up. And it's look, it's really hard. I mean, I was I was I was I just came back from spending three months in Spain and I just happened to meet up with a very sex positive community of people, mainly women, whom I became friends with, who were mostly on the larger side, right? Yeah. Really strong, confident women still t talking about weight loss challenges and you know like how they didn't like their bum and they didn't like this and they didn't like that but they but they recognized that they had to kind of work through this right? mm -hmm. <laughs> because because we are so indoctrinated into feeling this way that it's almost impossible to go to walk through the world as a as a larger person and feel that you're that you're attractive you have to be, and i do see with a lot of younger women especially this kind of body positivity but made i think we're i'm we're too old for that <laughs> no it's like it's like it takes you know that building that kind of resilience and confidence about yourself and your body your desirability your ability to be sexual to be whatever gender you want all that kind of stuff it's like that's so beyond most people over 60 never mind like just getting mm. over a few little lumps and bumps but i do think as you pointed out that things are yeah. changing are they going to change for my generation probably not you know i think we're pretty much a lost cause when it comes to that in certain parts of the world just because it's such a it's such a huge lifelong you know challenge but i do see that younger people in india and in other countries are moving into it, uh, you know, feeling just more comfortable about expressing themselves in whatever the way that happens to be. And that certainly this heteronormative society in which we live seems to be kind of phasing out a little bit, which I think it can only yeah. be a good thing. Really. Absolutely agree. Absolutely <laughs> agree. It, it gives me a lot of hope, I think, when I speak mm. to younger people. Yeah. Um, and they get a lot of flack, as we know. But I think, you know, it's really um, heartwarming the way they're challenging mm. what exists. You know, yeah, whether that's India, sure. whether that's in the West, they're kind of, I don't know, going and marching and doing things. And I think it's really wonderful. Yeah, it is. Um, and like you were saying, maybe things are a little bit uh, late for older people. But I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. And I don't well, want to we can keep I trying. <laughs> this is it, and we might as well give up. I'm, I'm quite a yeah. hopeful person, so I'm hoping that podcasts like yours and kind yeah. of um, work like mine kind of does make a difference. And I think it does. And I think even if out of a hundred people, two people woke up and say, "Oh, hang on a minute, actually, yeah. that's no, I progress." Think so too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, you know, there, there's always hope for some people, but uh, on that kind of massive societal level that we, that we would all love. And look, we would love if our podcast was picked up by the BBC. <laughs> if you're listening, BBC. <laughs> but, you know, if you're listening, BBC sounds, we're still waiting for you to call us up. Um, <laughs> But no, we're doing okay. And, and you know, it's really fun about this, as you probably know yourself with your podcast, is that 
we we get our charts every day of where we are and like we're like top 50 in greece or like top 25 in brazil or top 10 in some yeah. other random place and we're you just think what's that all about like <laughs> i get that i love looking at that <laughs> i know right and you're just like looking at it going that's awesome right because the we have the ability to go global with things like this and that makes, and that really encourages me. Cause like you say, it's like if five people in Norway suddenly yeah. really become much more sexual as a result of listening to this, I'm yeah. really happy with that. You know, that's a win, right? <laughs> that's a win for all of us. And if a whole bunch of older South Asian ladies suddenly go, fuck it, I'm gonna go on that dating app and find yeah. somebody because all i would say to those women is lie about your age that's all i'd say yeah, yeah so society is very ageist towards women oh yeah. god it's ridiculous Honestly. completely it's yeah. just awful like an older man is supposed to be like oh yeah so charming and whatever and older women we're just supposed to like yeah I don't know, disappear yeah, yeah. well yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're not disappearing, so fuck <laughs> off, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking as an older. Anyway, old thank man, you. I think that's okay. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you would, you would, wouldn't you? And I was thinking about that nurturing auntie type, and I was thinking that's your girlfriend right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody to do your washing up. God, you'd be so happy. Anyway, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me and for all the chat and the laughs and everything else. Thanks Thank so you. Much. Thank you. And we will direct people to your own podcast and your socials and all that other wonderful stuff. And yeah, it's great. It's great to hear about the work you're doing. Thank you Thanks so, so much. much. Thank you. Bye-bye.